if you could create an environment where every person you worked with, you knew significantly well, you'd make a lot more money. You'd problem solve way better. You'd have a much more leeway when things go wrong, right? So everything would work significantly better. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our guest today is Jason Troy. Jason is an executive coach and a leadership and management expert. He coaches managers and entrepreneurs on how to get their teams running at their best. Jason has spent 15 plus years in leadership positions in Silicon Valley, working with and learning from some of the greatest business leaders in the world. Steve Jobs, Mark Cuban, Reed Hastings from Netflix, the the CEO of Netflix, Mark Herr, the CEO of HP, and many, many more. He and I had a conversation just before we got recording. He's got a lot of awesome things to share, so I don't want to waste any more time. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on and speaking to your fantastic tribe. So I'm, you know, when we were talking before the show, we're discussing the importance of trust and emotional connection with people on our teams and our prospects and just people we interact with in business in general. And I'd like to just, you know, jump into that and recap that because that really rang true to me. And I count myself as someone that I know it's important, but I'm still working on the skill of developing the emotional connection with my prospects and my team. And then, you know, building that trust and, and showing myself as being trustworthy. Yeah. And I think one of the ways to look at trust and a question to ask yourself is to think about the best team you've ever been on in your life, whether that's personal, professional, in school, a sports team, a startup company, whatever it might be. And really, how did you feel about the people around you? How do you feel about the things you were able to achieve? your confidence level, your ability to take on risks and hurdles. When you're in an environment like that, you have very high levels of trust with people, just as you would with people in your personal life that are extremely close to you. You know, that feeling that you thought about when you thought about the team that was the best you've ever been on is really what keeps up leaders and managers up at night because they want to replicate that on their own teams, right? And their own teams could mean internal teams, but again, it could be the same feeling that you have with a prospect, with an existing client, or really any third party. I kind of use the word team pretty liberally. And so the question becomes like, how do you create that environment? And in another way, we talked about this before was, you know, everyone's met someone at some point that they felt like they've known all their life within the first five or 10 minutes. And that problem with that is, is you can't replicate it over and over again, right? It happens here, there, maybe almost never. And really the key is when you break that down, is that someone was vulnerable and shared something probably pretty small, but it still was vulnerable, whatever it was. And it led to the other person escalating that vulnerability and sharing something more. And you continue to escalate it. Because when you look at vulnerability, what you're saying to someone is, it's safe to share with me. And so if you broke down that conversation, you essence would have a conversation. The first conversation would be like the 10th, 15th, or 20th you'd have with another person. 
And the key is behind that vulnerability is trust. That's how you build higher and higher levels of trust. And most people think that I have to know you in order for me to trust you, right? But that's not the case. The key is how to use the lever of vulnerability in the conversations. But something else you mentioned beforehand is also really important. Well, yeah, that's great. But what about oversharing and boundaries? Well, that also comes in. And that's where it becomes very difficult because a lot of vulnerability is situational nature, right? It's you're having a tough conversation with someone, maybe a health scare. It could be a risk that you're having to take. There's a lot of things where you have to share or open up, but it's requiring an event or a specific situation. But if you can find ways to self-disclose information with people like you did in that conversation where you felt like you knew that person your whole life within five or 10 minutes, you can do that in a safe environment where you're not oversharing, right? That ultimately is your holy grail to rocket trust. And when you really think about it too, the other piece of it is like if you ask the best salespeople, which I've done, or people that are super duper talented in building rapport and getting other people influencing them, that's really what they do. They figure out some way to do that. Now, they have their own brand and style of it, but they're able to do that and rocket that trust in a way that other people cannot. That's a tough one. I mean, I'm my background is in sales, and I've certainly noticed that with many of my prospects and through the sales processes, you know, you can just feel that kind of trust there. And then once the trust is developed one way or another in whatever time frame it happens, then they'll start talking more about the real problems that they're having, that my capabilities haven't changed to solve their problems anywhere in that amount of time. The only thing that's changed is how much they trust me and my ability to solve their problem for them or with them. Yes, that's exactly right. The key is, though, is really understanding that if you can speed up that initial process from when they feel comfortable, right, to the first conversation, that is significant. And that would be significant for your back pocket, for your success, for your fulfillment. And also, honestly, it's for that other person, too, because you could help that other person and do a lot more for them if they were able to do that. And so the other piece of trust, right? So when we break this down farther and try to understand trust, right, is what it is, there are several aspects of trust, right? There's reliability, there's competency, there's sincerity, and there's caring. And the most important part of trust when you really think about it is caring. Because we've all had people in our life that maybe weren't sincere, maybe weren't most the reliable or the most competent, but if someone cared about us, we kept them around the longest out of any of those. But if someone was super reliable or competent, but they didn't care about it at all, that probably was a super short relationship or relationship where it was expedient, meaning I needed something for them, therefore I kept them around. So you need to insert and inject caring into the trust part. That's where the vulnerability comes in. And that's why it works exceptionally well when you can figure out how to do it and how to go about doing it. Again, in a situation like yours where you're selling or really in any scenario where you're interacting with other people. 
even personally. Yeah, I think it. this is a valuable skill, whether you're selling or, I don't know, negotiating a to buy a car or, you know, whatever. You're just trying to connect with other people out in the world. And, you know, as I think about the skill of being vulnerable, I perceive it as a skill. It seems like anything else being a skill, we should, if we want to get better at it, we need to work on it. So there might be those occasions where maybe we do overshare and we need to step back and say, well, whoops, I'm, you know, maybe shouldn't. Have, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that and practicing our vulnerability? Yeah, I think you have to practice it. You know, Brene Brown's my favorite author, and she's got one, I think, one of the three most downloaded TED Talks of all time. And she's the TED Talk is called The Power of Vulnerability. And she's got several great books that people can read. It's funny, it's the only author I give every one of my clients to read because I think the books are just golden to teach them, I think, the fastest ways and best ways to really be successful and fulfilled and also help people that they're interacting with. And I think you're right. I mean, you know, vulnerability is a skill. And of course, you know, sometimes you're going to overshare and sometimes you're going to interact with people and say things that they may feel is overstepping the bounds. But that's life, right? Because there's no way for you to know what someone is willing or not willing to do. But the opposite is 10 times worse because it's the slowest way to get there. So as I was tackling this issue and trying to understand all these things, and I was looking you know, what we're talking about now up and looking at research on the university side and what people were doing, you know, firsthand to really understand this, I was thinking about how do you really apply this? Like, this is great to know this information, but just like a great salesperson who would tell me, I know this, but I can't, it's hard for me to teach it to someone else because they can't think like me. Then I thought to myself, well, I have to be able to simplify this and make it so anyone could actually use this and figure this out. So I came across this study back in 1997 by a professor, Arthur Aaron, and he was trying to build interpersonal closeness between people. And one of the aspects was how to get people to fall in love fast. So he did one exercise where he put 54 grad students together, and they were in a room. They were complete strangers, and the meaning they did not know each other at all, other than knowing their first names when they sat down because they introduced each other. In over 45 minutes, they asked each other 36 questions. And these were very vulnerable questions. And remember, these were complete strangers. And so one of the questions they asked in the process was, tell me three things that you like about me. Well, that's pretty hard when the only things you know are what someone told you and what you could observe with them, I mean, when you were sitting down. And what was really incredible at the end of the research, and he replicated the study dozens and dozens of times across geographies, people, ages, genders, everything else, was that 30% of the people, and after this, they surveyed them before and after, rated the relationship with a complete stranger as the closest relationship in their life. And think about that. 30% of the people rated that relationship with a complete stranger as the closest relationship in their life. So there's something there if that is possible in 45 minutes to do that, that there are people they knew for decades or many years that they didn't feel that way about. And partly I think it is, is that we don't really ask each other questions. So the bar is so low, a snake could crawl over it. I mean, <laughs> right? And it's the generation we're in, right? People don't have the same types of conversations, right? The social communication, emotional skill sets are at the lowest they've ever been. 
right? The other part of it is if you take a look at loneliness in the US, they've done studies on it. It's anywhere from 25 to 40%, meaning that people feel all alone, not that they are all alone. And so they're more disconnected than ever before. So trying to connect people is something they're starving for. So doing it in a business setting is good for you to be able to do. So I took this information and I'm like, well, great. And you know, something else we talked about beforehand was I went out to some coffee shops and I started to ask people questions like this. And I got answers and some of the people felt like I was definitely over asking, right? Over sharing and over asking. And I asked them, they said, well, it sort of feels uncomfortable. I don't know, like a stranger. And so I thought to myself, okay, after doing this for several dozen people, and I got some pretty mixed results, I was like, there has to be something else. So what I did was I called up a friend of mine uh, that he didn't really know that well. And I asked them, let's do a dinner party where you're bringing people that you know fairly well, but none of them exceptionally well. And let's play Arthur Aaron's game and see if it works in a group of people. Because he set it up as doing a one-on-one, but I'm like, well, what if he did it in a group? So I set it up in a group and I had like an hour and a half dinner with people. And I figured out oh, it's plenty of time, go through these questions, you know, maybe we'll go through, you know, instead of 36, maybe just 10 or 12 or whatever. And I thought that was plenty. Well, I did it three times and all three times people would not let me go till we went through all the questions, which took three plus hours at dinner <laughs> that I did not anticipate. They were eating it up and they absolutely loved it. And the things that they shared in front of me were really mind boggling and unbelievable because I never thought that people who were complete strangers to me and some of the people they didn't know would be that willing to share all that information with and doing it. And at the end of that, I was like, there's something here. Because if I can gamify it, it goes back to us being little kids and playing games. So it makes it seem safe. And adults, we all love to play games, right? Like cards against humanity and all the rest of things. That's what we do. So if I could gamify this and create it in an environment, it could really take off and work. And so I did that. I created my own questions. And then I went into my first group session and I was just testing this out, right? Not charging people, just trying to understand how this would work. And I went into my first session with people and there were two women that hated each other. They were like arch enemies, think super friends, right? And hate was the way the people described it I was doing the group. It was not my interpretation. So I was really, really nervous, right? The first time I'd ever done anything like this, and I was like, wow, this thing's going to blow up like the Titanic and I'm going to look like a complete idiot. And so we went and we had a group and asked, you know, went around and asking questions. And then one of them, the questions I had was, tell me about the biggest loss you've had in the last five years. And one of the women said their dog. The other one said their mom. Now, you'd logically think, well, what do these have in common and how can anyone relate to that? But what I didn't understand at the time was it's not just about the experiences that we share and the facts about them, it's the emotions that draw us in. And somehow or another, that was a trigger. So I saw them walk out and actually have a conversation with each other. And I was like, oh, this is great, right? They're at least talking. And then I found out they went out to lunch a week later. And a month later, they were friends, like social friends. So imagine it was literally a 180. In 30 days. And that is pretty amazing. And it's not necessarily going to work that way for every single person. 
But what happens is it's extremely powerful in what you can do. And even in a bigger group, what I've done in a couple hundred people, which is interesting, is that as long as people know that other people are participating, they treat everyone as though they're in their small group. So the thing can spread across anyone you do it in, but it allows you to be vulnerable and get to know people super well. And the other part of this thing was too, was last year at the end of the summer, I had a few of my really good friends say to me, well, would this work with people that know each other exceptionally well? And so I was like, okay, great. And I gave this to five people that were married happily for 20 plus years and five people who were best friends who essentially lived in the same city for the whole time and actively were doing with stuff with each other on a weekly basis. And all 10 people came back and said the same things. They learned substantial amount of information about the other person that they didn't know that would have been really helpful and move their relationship significantly farther. And they never would have asked them those questions ever because they never would have thought about asking them. So I think it's important to realize that if you can do it in a setting like this, and if you're in a sales modality, right, what you can do if it's a prospect at the end of it, you could say, hey, you know, I like to get to know people that I'm going to potentially work with and I've got a fun game to play. Would you be up for playing it? And most people say yes, because they're playing a game and you can play a couple rounds of the game and I'll give it to you for free. So you got no reason to not test it out. And if you have an existing client, you can just sit down over lunch or whatever and play it and even play it in a group of people, right? If you're working in a group of people on that side and share this stuff and people just eat it up. I like that idea. I like that a lot. Just saying, you know, kind of casually mentioning it and proposing it as a fun little activity and see where it goes. Yeah. And, you know, I tell people start off really slow by playing a couple questions with someone. And if they don't want to play more then you don't have to, right? You know, you're going to run into people that won't, but a lot of people will. And if they do, you can really build that relationship much faster and get to know them in a much better way. And The thing about it is, is that just think about this. If you could create an environment where every person you worked with, you knew significantly well, you'd make a lot more money. You'd problem solve way better. You'd have a much more leeway when things go wrong, right? So everything would work significantly better. And so the key lever is vulnerability to escalate trust. So you can, in essence, recreate the same relationships you have in your inner circle personally, but you don't need to be friends with them, right? It's more about the information and the sharing than it is the friendship. So it's not like you have to be friends with those people. You'll just know information about them that will make it much easier for you to interact with them and learn about them and see things like their hot buttons, things that they really like, right? All the rest of these things that are critical in business. I'm loving it. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Jason, what is the best investment you ever made? Well, the best investment I ever made was, I think, coaching and getting personal help for myself because it taught me a lot about my own blind spots, my own challenges, and really helped me get past that. And that helped me create my own business much more successful and doing everything I am today. I love that answer. I love it. How about what is the worst investment you ever made? Wow, I'm trying to think. You know, I worked in Silicon Valley. I worked in a startup company that I took significantly more options than pay for. And I thought 
it would do really well. And I made a couple of critical errors in my analysis because I was over exuberant and I didn't ask enough questions from the company and didn't ask enough questions from the people around me that probably would have opened up a lot of my eyes. And a lot of it was the people managing and running the company. It wasn't actually the product or solution. Wow. It all comes back to people. What do you know? It does. Yeah. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing and in business? You know, again, I think it comes down to the people because I've seen a lot of companies get derailed because not the right people are running it, investing it in, you know, building the culture, training the people, leading them. And you can have the best product service or whatever it is. But if the people who don't run it don't, right, that is will cripple what is going on. It's funny because when I talk to venture capitalists, private equity people, um, even board members, when I really dig and ask them questions about the people they're working with, like in the management team, it gets down to their greatest fear is what's between their ears that they don't know. Because they can judge their talent and ability by seeing the numbers and stuff, but how they're thinking, their fear, imposter syndrome, and the rest of this stuff, they don't know. And that keeps them up at night because those are the greatest unknowns. Interesting. So can you give a particular example of what someone might be afraid of, like their business failing generally, for example, or you know, what comes to mind when you think about those types of fears? You know, One time I had someone tell me, that they were really concerned because someone's ego was so big. They didn't know whether it was posturing or they really felt like they were actually better than everyone else. And the problem is that they thought they were really better than everyone else. They really wouldn't take feedback and advice and get help because they think they would know how to do it well because they had been really successful. But because you'd been successful in the past doesn't mean you'll be successful again. Because the environment is different, the conditions, the market, I mean, everything else. So, you know, things like that go on with people, people's fears, like how, you know, sometimes fears can incapacitate people where they're afraid to act and make decisions because they're afraid to make the wrong decisions. So they're really slow to move because they're afraid to make decisions on 70% of information. Like Jeff Bezos wrote a great His 2016 investor letter is gold, right? He talks about that at Amazon, his goal was to get 70% of the information and move quickly because most people wait for 90%. And the problem with that is, is you have to be right. And he was like, at 70%, I don't have to be right. I can afford to do it wrong because I've got time to pivot and move, essentially. Hmm. Well, the results definitely show there with Amazon being one of the biggest companies in the planet and a fairly short amount of time. And and Jeff Bezos always being at the helm there. Before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I mean, you can you know go to cardsagainstmundanity.com to download the game that we're talking about, and there's instructions and how to use it, and it's free, so there's nothing for you to buy or anything else. And you know, you can find out more at Jason. My last name is T R E U dot com, the website, and you'll find a link for the game onto there and. Uh, that's it. Great. And I suppose that's the best way for folks to get in touch with you. Yes. All right. Great. Well, everyone out there listening, I want to thank you for tuning in today. I know I learned a lot. You know, I think uh, I need to think more about personally about this whole concept of trust in my business and getting there faster and and demonstrating all those qualities that Jason touched on that lend into trust. So 
it's definitely an interesting thing to think about. And I think you probably should as well, no matter what business you're in. For now, thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, you can just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com to get more of our episodes. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We put out a new one every week. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you on the next one. Mm-hmm.